Good morning. My name's David, and it's uh, good to be able to have the privilege of sharing this message uh, with you this morning from Daniel uh, chapter 5. No doubt many of us have used the phrase, or certainly heard the phrase, the writing is on the wall. And like many phrases, they have their root in the Bible, and we find it here as we continue this morning our series in Daniel, which we've entitled Courageous Living. In chapter 5 here, we find God writing a message on the wall for King Belshazzar. So we might entitle this message, Courageous Living, when the writing is on the wall. Of course, we use the phrase, and it is really in a hopeful context, if the writing is on the wall, generally it is taken to be both bad news and inescapable bad news. So that makes this chapter quite challenging on all kinds of levels. But I do hope and pray that as we listen, as we hear the message, as we reflect on the story, that we might find some important and relevant things for us to hear right now in our situation today. So let's read part of the story. So say, Daniel chapter 5, and it starts with King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and they drank wine together. And we're told when Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote, his face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers and diviners. Then he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face grew even more pale, and his nobles were baffled. The queen, hearing the voices of the king and his nobles, came into the banquet hall. May the king live forever, she said. Don't be alarmed. Don't look so pale. There is a man in your kingdom who has the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. Your father Nebuchadnezzar appointed him chief of the magicians, enchanters, astrologers and diviners. He did this because Daniel, whom the king called Belteshazzar, was found to have a keen mind and knowledge and understanding and also the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve difficult problems. 
Call for Daniel. He will tell you what the writing means. So we pick up the story in chapter 5. And there is a new king on the throne. Nebuchadnezzar had died at the end of chapter 4. And we find a new king on the throne, Belshazzar. Not to be confused with Belteshazzar, which was of course Daniel's exile name. We actually think that Belshazzar was a regent king left in charge by his father. Anyway, we hear that Belshazzar has raised a great feast for a thousand of his courtiers. The interesting thing that we know is that from the end of the chapter, and certainly from historical records, is that about this time, the Persian army was on the way, if not actually, at the city gates. So why, in the face of apparent and imminent danger, do they party? It can only be Belshazzar's arrogance. He and his nobles, his courtiers, felt secure in their city. They thought it was impregnable. They clearly had plenty of provisions. And with the river Euphrates running right through it, they had a good water supply, so they thought. So they party. And the party gets going. And we're told that as they drank wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, And it was while they were doing this, while Belshazzar was drinking his wine in front of his thousands of guests, probably in again an attempt to make himself look good, he decided to have some fun at the expense of the Hebrew god. Let's bring out the gold and silver goblets that his forefather Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem. Let's have some fun with them. Belshazzar didn't seem to realise that he was playing with fire when he brought those sacred vessels in. On one level, we might ask ourselves, why was that so important? They were only using these vessels for the things that they were made for. Cups are made for drinking out of. Why should God then want to make such a fuss? Why would God want to draw a line here and say this was not allowed. It was because Belshazzar was using these to toast and praise these other gods. In effect, he was saying, in his view, the god of the Jerusalem temple had no power, no reality in Babylon. Someone described it as a bit like coming home to find your belongings outside the door. The message of the situation was not that your belongings were outside the door, but that you were out. Belshazzar was saying to God, you are out. One of the key messages that we learn in the book of Daniel is the profound truth that it is God who is in control. But Belshazzar, in his arrogance, seems not to have got the memo. So we have the scene of this banqueting hall, one of great revelry, and then something extraordinary happens. One moment the hall is filled with the noise of of drunken shouting, the next there's stunned silence. The story tells us, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall. 
It was something out of this world, something supernatural. I was reminded last week, uh, uh, thinking of the, the, the wall, the plastered wall, I was reminded of a story of a painter and decorator who happened also to be called Daniel, who'd won the contract to paint the walls of a large church. But so that he could make some extra pounds, he decided that he would thin the paint down so that he didn't have to buy quite so much. Anyway, one afternoon, Daniel was alone in the church and suddenly he heard a voice. Daniel, Daniel. He was instantly struck with terror. Who is it, he says. It's God, comes the voice. I've only one thing to say to you, Daniel. Yes, yes, Lord, said Daniel. And God said, Daniel, repaint and thin no more. I'll just pause a moment as you throw something at the screen. Belshazzar, we're told, turned pale when he saw the writing, was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way, a bit like I feel every time I preach, uh, certainly every time I tell a joke like that. Having seen the writing appear on the palace wall, now Belshazzar's only desire was to discover what it meant. And in his desperation and terror, he calls for his enchanters, astrologers and diviners, the so-called wise men of Babylon. And as soon as they appear, he offers them great reward if they can tell him what the mysterious hand has written and to give its interpretation. But despite all he has promised, none of them could read or explain the writing. Reminded of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them, because they are discerned only through the Spirit. It's another of the themes that run through the book of Daniel. When something happens, the chanters, the astrologers, the diviners are dragged in only to find that they are beyond useless. How often does it happen that in times of crisis we turn to things, even people, and find them of little use? We find them wanting. In this moment of terror, Belshazzar in his helplessness finds that the, the people that he thought he could rely on, his enchanters, astrologers and diviners, are exposed as useless. Maybe we might reflect on the experience of these recent months. These months of crisis. Many thought that life would always just go on as normal. And suddenly it's not normal. And it's been arrogantly to believe that we don't need God. And that we can manage every and every, any and every situation. We thought everything was going to be okay, and suddenly it's not. And maybe some of us have found that the things and the people that we put our faith in have been found wanting. 
Perhaps the props that we have relied on are useless. I heard somebody say recently that we've even found that science has been found wanting. We're faced with the realisation that we don't know everything. That even the cleverest are paying catch-up when it comes to this virus. That we can't just pluck a vaccine out of the air. Maybe we've been challenged about the things that we thought we could rely on. The people we thought we could rely on. Maybe also we've been challenged about what's really important. Certainly we found that there's been a realisation for some that spending time with their families is far more rewarding than they thought. Having time to rest has been really good. And it's brought home to us how precious are the relationships that we easily take for granted when we experience separation. And for some, the agony of facing death and fear and bereavement has brought major questions. Many have had that Belshazzar experience, the knocking knees, the terrified, the to whom shall we turn? Certainly not the enchanters, astrologers and diviners. To whom can Belshazzar turn? At this moment, the Queen Mother turns up. It appears that she hadn't been invited to the party, but she hears the commotion and comes in to find Belshazzar in this state. It's another of those wonderful little examples in Scripture when the right person just arrives at the right moment, and as so often, we know little of them. We don't even know her name. And yet she points the way of God. There was someone who could read and interpret the strange message. She remembered how Daniel had explained and interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And she urged Belshazzar to send for him. He was a man who has the spirit of the holy gods in him, she says. Here's another little challenge in the story. It's highly likely that Belshazzar would have known of the stories about Daniel and his impact on the life of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is still alive, although perhaps not so much in the public eye, but he is still around. Some have suggested that Belshazzar had in fact deliberately ignored Daniel when looking for his answers about the writing on the wall. Maybe he was worried about the answer he might get. How often do we do that? How often do we not go to the right people for advice because we fear that they would say something that we don't want to hear? Nevertheless, Daniel is summoned. But even now, even given the situation, Belshazzar's arrogance comes to the fore once again. And the first thing he says to Daniel is to put him in his place. He says to him, Are you Daniel, one of the exiles my father the king brought from Judah? In other words, he's saying, Daniel, before you say anything, 
Just remember that you are a foreign, a foreign exiled slave. And remember, I am the king. He is the only one who can help him, but Belshazzar still feels the need to assert himself, to put him down, to undermine Daniel, to show his contempt for him. Again, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved. It's the power of God. So having undermined and put Daniel down, bizarrely the next thing he does, out of desperation, he offers Daniel riches and power. He offers him the riches the, the position of the third highest ruler. Remember that effectively Belshazzar is, uh, Belshazzar is second in command. He is a regent king. So the only position he had to offer was the next one down, the third one down. Daniel is not interested in reward. Here is a man of faithfulness and integrity. It's worth stopping for a moment here and thinking about Daniel at this point in his life. As we know, here is a man who was brought from his own country. He was in exile. He was enslaved, put, put to work in the, in the Babylonian civil service. But yet he had remained faithful to God, even though under the most extreme pressure, both on him and his friends. And even if we, if we say that Daniel was, say, 14, 15, when he was exiled, we don't know exactly. We know he was a youth. By now, he is into his 70s, maybe around 80. So Daniel, shall we say, is now mature in years. He may even have retired from public service. It's interesting that we often tell the stories of Daniel as children's stories. I've heard the, the stories of Daniel in the lion den and other things like that. And, and children invited to dare to be a Daniel, which is great. But it's also good to remember at this stage in the story, Daniel's an old man. And so should engage those of us who are older, perhaps. God had used Daniel powerfully. And yet now he'd been forgotten about there were times when he had been very influential, but now times when he was perhaps ignored. But even so, he remained faithful. He'd had his moments in the limelight, but now he was much more in the background. But when he is summoned by Belshazzar, he's ready to go. He doesn't say, oh no, I'm too old now. He doesn't say, oh no, sorry, I'm retired. I've been reminded several times in the last two or three years, there's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom of God. When he's summoned by Belshazzar, he's ready to go. It doesn't matter what Belshazzar thinks of him. He knows who he is in God. He doesn't need incentives. He just wants to speak out the truth of his Lord. He had clearly... As he had got older, he had clearly continued to, to sustain his spiritual life. We hear in chapter 6 of his persistent prayer. 
we hear in chapter 9 of his studying of the scriptures. Daniel had continued to be faithful to God and continued to feed his spirit. Daniel's story is a story that might speak to us when we are, might, we are experiencing this time that we might call a time of exile. We are exiled from being able to meet as a congregation. We are exiled from our activism. Maybe, maybe we're also exiled from family, from friends, from work. We're certainly exiled from normal life. So perhaps there are things that we can learn from Daniel's exile experience. The challenge we might want to hear is that in times of waiting and watching and praying are just as important as the times of activity, of progress and blessing. Daniel was ready to go. And he's called in and he sets about telling Belshazzar what the words on the wall mean. Take up the story in verse 18. Your majesty, Daniel says, the most high God gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate the grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged that the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets them over anyone he wishes. But you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines drank from them. You praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which cannot hear or see or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tackle pass him. Here is what the words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tackle, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Pass him, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's command, Daniel was clothed in purple and a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So Daniel is called and sets about telling Belshazzar what the words written on the wall mean. But first, there has to be a little history lesson. It was important that Belshazzar not only knew what the words were, but also what they mean. As always, there had to be context and perspective. 
Daniel pointed out that it was the same God who was speaking to Belshazzar now as had spoken to uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. He compares the response of Belshazzar to that of Nebuchadnezzar. God had given Nebuchadnezzar a great empire, but the king had mistakenly thought that it was the result of his own efforts. And in his pride, as we heard last week, he dismissed any thought of dependence on God, forgetting the main point, as we've heard, that God is in control. This was his undoing, and he was humbled by mental illness, which made him think he was an animal, as we heard last week. Eventually, he learned his lesson, and God graciously restored him to his throne. In a nutshell, Daniel says, we'd been this way before, but Nebuchadnezzar got it. Sadly, you... Belshazzar haven't. But you, Daniel says, and you can imagine him pointing the finger at Belshazzar, but you, you have not humbled yourself. Though you knew all this, instead you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Verse 22. Perhaps the most challenging part of that sentence is not the but you, but the though you knew all this. Belshazzar is not being told something that he didn't know, but something he'd chosen in his arrogance to ignore or even worse. He had chosen instead to praise the gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron and wood and stone, which Daniel says cannot hear or see or understand. Again, the challenge. What is it or who is it that we put our trust in? Challenge us to remember how easily we can forget about the power of God to change and redeem. It challenges us to remember the God who hears the cries of our hearts, the Father who loves us and sent his Son, Jesus, to die for us. Finally, Daniel tells him what the words mean. The words consist of terms that designate value and weight. And Daniel tells him that what they mean is that God has Belshazzar's number. He's been weighed, he's been found wanting, and as a result, his kingdom is about to disintegrate. As one commentator puts it, Belshazzar is finished, flimsy, and fractured. God has judged Belshazzar's kingdom and finished it. He has been weighed in the balance and found wanting, And the end result was his kingdom was given over to the Medes and the Persians. Belshazzar suddenly awakes to the terrible truth that the God who had been subject to his ridicule had been weighing up his life. Verse 30 begins, that very night. Perhaps it reminds us of the parable of the rich fool that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 12. The man who said, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain and laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. To which we hear God responds, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded of you. Belshazzar may have thought that he was safe in his city, protected by the massive walls. But historical records tell us that there was one chink in his armour. 
The city was divided with the, the river Euphrates throwing, flowing through it, and we're told that the Medes and Persians succeeded in diverting the river, making it possible for an invading army to invade, to march up the muddy bank beneath the walls of the city and make a surprise attack and overwhelm the city's defences. Interestingly, there's also an, an ancient historical account that reports that on entering the city, the Persians killed the Babylonian king who they described as a riotous, indulgent, cruel and godless young man. It's not a story with a happy ending. Certainly not for Belshazzar. For him, the writing is on the wall. But it is a relevant, important and challenging story that is worth our reflection. There is the challenge to the arrogance of the human heart. There is the challenge to think about our values, about what's actually important to us, to whom do we turn, to what do we turn in the time of crisis. To think about how we might feed and sustain and encourage ourselves in a time of exile. Can we dare to be a Daniel? Can we be those people of faithfulness and integrity, not just when we are actually actively influential, but also when we are actively ignored? To be faithful, to have faithfulness and integrity, not just when God is clearly at work, but when there's times when it's not so obvious. And then there's a decision to make. Both Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar had a decision to make. And their responses are held in stark contrast. The challenge of Jesus when he spoke to the disciples was very simple. He called them and said to them, follow me. Maybe as you reflect on Belshazzar, if you've not said yes to following Jesus, maybe today's the day. Maybe that's the writing that's on the wall for you today. For Belshazzar, it was bad news, but it doesn't have to be for us because God has poured out his love and grace upon us in Jesus and confronts us with the, the challenge of making the decision. We only have to say yes to him. In a few moments, we'll share together communion. An ideal moment to reflect on life and upon what God has done for us in Jesus. Maybe a moment, if you've never done so, to say yes, yes to Jesus, yes to all that God has for you, now and always.